When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Tiva, and I'm so fucking excited for today's episode. I can't believe it's the third time that I'm going to try to get through this content. By the way, ever since I've been doing video episodes, I notice how often I do this thing. If you're watching, if you're not watching on video, you were missing out. Are you? Probably not. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, okay. What I'm talking about is, um, you know, that, you know, that, um, it was like a TikTok trend a while ago, maybe like a year ago or something. And it was like things that just make sense. And the song was like that Italian, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and people like do this thing where it's like all of your fingers are coming together, like, uh, like a strawberry shape. <laughs> like, literally, what the fuck am I talking about? Like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Like, what, how did I even... Oh, okay, yeah. Ever since I've been doing video episodes, I notice how often I do this and it's like, <laughs> it's not cute. Also, let me tell you, if you need to find a way to humble yourself, go into a line of work where you need to record yourself constantly and then look at yourself constantly. Like when I tell you, I went to the dermatologist last week and I was like, yo, you need to fucking do something because like the fotch needs some work. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, listen, I've been looking at myself on video a lot and mommy does not like what she sees. She was like, okay. And I was like, the jaw, the everything. But last week was the roughest. I mean, the way I was bloated. Actually, you know what? We're not even going to talk about it because I feel like half the episode last week was literally just me complaining about how bloated and uncomfortable I was. So we're not even going to fucking talk about it. We're just going to move right along. Um, okay. How did... <laughs> Was I trying to say something before I got on this like bizarre tangent thing? I don't know. Thank you guys so much for listening. Honestly, I love doing this podcast so much. And like on a very serious note, I think that maybe the content and the quality has dipped a bit ever since I've started doing video because it's this thing where I like really had to push myself out of my comfort zone in every single way. I mean, there's the logistical side of things like doing the video, you know, like kind of getting past the 
fear that like maybe the camera isn't recording, figuring out like, okay, how am I going to look in my outline? Because I, I mean, I do research for you guys. Like she's a fucking journalist, like, you know, um, so I, I need my outline. So like figuring out how I can see my outline, how I can scroll the outline, um, you know, all the logistics of it is one side of it. And then there's the extra like I put on fucking makeup, you know, like I wear an outfit, um, not to say that before I was like recording in the nude, but I was recording in like, you know, clothes that I wouldn't want on camera. Um, by the way, my palm itches, just a random thing. <laughs> it's been three minutes and we're already getting into tangents. Uh, by the way, I have Literally, the only thing on my outline for today is I want to get straight into the material because we're like, we're getting through it today. Like, I don't care if today's episode has to be five hours. We're getting through it. We're not doing a part four of the same episode. Part three is it. So like, I I was like, I'm going to get straight into the fucking material. But of course, like we're tangenting away. So in Persian culture, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of myths and proverbs and like sayings and things like that and superstitions and various things. And there's one they say, like, if your palm itches, it means that you're going to come into money, like like money is coming your way. And so I grew up with shit like this, right? I'd like walk around like, oh, your palm itches. It means you're about to get money. Oh, like your shoe, like if you take off your shoes and they fall on top of each other, they say that you're about to go on vacation, right? It's all these, it's a very old culture. So these things are common in older cultures. Um, so I grew up with shit like this. And I remember one time, I was like, oh my God, dad, my foot itches. Like, daddy, daddy, what does that mean? And he looked at me for like a full second and he goes, I don't know, maybe you have fungus. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, it could be athlete's foot. And I was like, Okay, not where I was going with that. I thought I was like, you know, he was going to be like, oh, you're about to like meet your soulmate or like, <laughs> you know, your career is about to take off. No, it could be athletes. But I was like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> okay, um, moving right along. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you guys so much for, you know, sticking through. I think Every week that goes on, I'm getting more and more comfortable and situated with the camera. Oh, what was I going to say? So yeah, logistics of it, right? The logistics of it are so much more. And, but then there's the other element of it. It's just like being seen on camera is like emotionally, mentally more taxing also, aside from the logistics of it. It's, it's really pushing me out of my comfort zone in a very different way. And I do think that the content has taken a bit of a hit as a result of that, as I, you know, as I got used to it, as I like it's every time you do something new, people are like, oh, I have imposter syndrome. It's like, no, you don't have, I mean, sure. Let's call it like we can use whatever label you want, but it's not a bad thing. It's like when you are trying something new, when you push yourself out of your comfort zone, you 
are an imposter, quite literally. So like, it's not like a mental health condition. It's a normal reaction to your environment, to your circumstances. When you do something new, you technically are an imposter at it. So you're going to feel some kind of way until you keep doing it and you build that confidence. But confidence comes from taking action. Confidence comes from doing things. Not to quote quite literally the worst episode of this podcast, something I fever dreams about all the time, something I'm going to be addressing in therapy at some point. (laughs) Um, But you know, that is how confidence builds. Anyway, so I really appreciate you guys sticking it out. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys tuning in every week. And I think um, as I keep doing it, I am building that confidence. And I think the content will come back around and not just to where it was before I started doing video, but will far exceed that. And frankly, like the video is a nice touch. So I you know, not, I mean, I don't care like what platform you listen to, but if you do want the full video experience, you can watch the entire thing on Spotify. And what's cool about Spotify is you can also pull it up on your laptop. Um, you don't just have to use it on the phone. So that is kind of nice. Okay. So we're going to get into the content of the day, which is the third iteration of the same fucking content. And hopefully this week I can actually get through it. But let me tell you, a bitch is feeling so much better than I did last week when I full on, I mean, I was losing my goddamn mind. I was in so much discomfort. And I really have to say, like, I've noticed I have like an extreme trigger around being constipated and being bloated in a way that I would say, like, no one likes these things, right? I'm not saying like, oh, other people are fine with it and it like affects me more. No, no, no one likes these feelings. They can be very uncomfortable, like especially constipation. Like there are points where constipation really can get like out of hand and be like, so like, I will say, I think I've throughout my life with constipation experience types of pain that I wouldn't even know how to describe. Okay. Anyway, no one likes these feelings. I do think that I'm like disproportionately triggered by it because sometimes I'm like, all right, bitch, like you're fucking constipated. Like it's not like, like you're not like, you know, you're not losing an arm. Like you're not being amputated. You're not like giving birth. Like it's not the end of the fucking world. Also like the end of the world right after giving birth tells you something about where I'm at with having kids still. Although I have said that I now do want to have kids. Also, if you are someone who wants kids or has kids, you have to listen to uh, Alyssa Alter and I did a pod swap. We've recorded it already, not to like break the fourth wall too much. Um, it's going to come out in May and I'm so excited for it. Like it's going to be, uh, it's such a good episode. Like I'm so excited. Okay. Um, moving right along. I do think that 
I don't I don't know what it is like why I'm so severely I mean there are a lot of physiological things like when you're constipated it throws your mineral ratios off and I think um because you're not passing the copper correctly it elevates your copper levels relative to other minerals and that does cause anxiety like there is a lot of stuff there purely on a physiological level but I I do, I do think the way that I react to being constipated and or bloated is outside of what is like normal or functional. Like it does kind of like lead me to question if there is some kind of emotional component there that is like if it reminds me of a, a something that has happened in childhood and that's why it triggers me so much. But yeah, I was like full on losing my mind last week. Okay. So we're just going to, we're going to jump right in. This is the fastest we have ever gotten into the co content. You know what? Some of those bitches that have left me negative reviews being like, meh, 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 I went 30 minutes in and you still hadn't gotten to the topic of the day. I'm never tuning in again. Go fuck yourselves. Because <laughs> we're getting right into it this week. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me. Let's just move right along. Okay. So what I've been trying to get through for three weeks now is me noticing how much my life has up leveled in the past four years, right? So four years ago, I mean, I was... I got out of a relationship that I thought was like my soulmate, my person. I had reasons for thinking this. Um, part of those reasons were having like severe anxious attachment and codependency. Some of those reasons were other things that frankly, like we're not going to go into today, but there were a lot of like crazy, like synchronicities happening to me at the time that genuinely had me convinced that this person, the comedian was my person. Like I was convinced that we were meant to be together. And when we broke up, I couldn't accept that it was over because I was convinced that we were meant to be together. So I was like, we're going to get back together. And I lived in this state of delusion for three full months. I came out of that state of delusion and I was just fucking lost. I was in a new city. I didn't really know people. I, yes, I had finally accepted that I wasn't meant to be with this person anymore and that there was someone better out there for me. But even though I had accepted that, it didn't mean that I had actually processed it. I had actually grieved it. I had actually gone through the anger. I had gone through any of the emotions. I was really kind of, at a rock bottom place in terms of that. At the same time, I was kind of like not practicing law anymore, but I did, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I was passionate about health and wellness, but like it's a super saturated place. And, you know, I had a lot of like notions of what my life was going to look like. And I had all these degrees that I thought I was going to use, you know, like all of these things happening, at the same time, again, I'm in a new city. I don't really have friends in New York. I I had friends elsewhere, certainly, and like in D.C., but a lot of those, like my two closest friends from law school, like the girls who I thought were like my sisters, I thought we were going to be friends forever. During the time when I was going through the hardest time of my life, completely fell off. And I mean, they had their reasons. I'm not 
I, I don't mean this to sound like boohoo me. I, they actually had their reasons and I do see their side of things, but you know, I was in a very, very dark place. I had a lot of suicidal ideations. It was, it was not a good time in my life at all. And I spent a lot of that time disassociating and fantasizing about my ideal life, right? I would fantasize about the partner that I was calling and the partner that I wanted to have. I'd fantasize about the type of friendships that I wanted. I'd fantasize about the type of apartment I wanted to live in. I'd fantasize about the type of career I wanted to have. And then it was a few weeks ago when I thought back and I was like, holy shit, all of the things that I fantasized about, I have today. I live in an apartment that looks exactly like the type of apartment I would fantasize about. I have a partner who is quite literally exactly what I would fantasize about. Like, it's actually kind of wild. Like, I, I even feel like I sometimes, like, would see him in my meditations. I have friends. I have friendship dynamics that are exactly what I wanted in my career is beyond my wildest dreams. Like the fact that I get to sit here, I didn't even dare fantasize about starting a podcast because it was outside of what I thought was possible. And like the fact that I do this and that like people listen and so many of you listen, like so many more than I ever thought would, it's wild to the fact that I got to do this. And so I really, once I had that realization, I had to sit there and like, reverse engineer and be like, okay, how did I get here? And I recognized that there were really five pillars that got me here. And for the past two weeks, we've been talking about the first two pillars, which was inner child work and radical self-honesty. And last week, if you haven't listened to the past two weeks, I would go and listen to them. But last week specifically, I really just recapped those pillars and I gave very concrete examples of what those mean. So I'm not going to do that again. So like you can go back and listen to last week. What I do want to kind of touch on is why those things have led to my growth. And we're not going to stay here long because we are going to move right along. Um, but the first pillar, the inner child work, the inner child work really is the biggest component of how I was able to move to secure attachment because I was so severely, not even, I always say anxious attachment, the reason I say anxious attachment is because my anxious patterning was a lot stronger than my avoidant patterning was. But just to remind you, I really think it's an error to talk about attachment styles as these four distinct styles because I what I think is a lot more useful and helpful and accurate is the fact that there are two spectrums within attachment theory and they cross over each other. So one of the spectrums is the anxiety spectrum and one of the spectrums is the avoidance spectrum. And you can be anywhere on either of those two spectrums and where you are on both of those spectrums combined determines your attachment style. So if you are high in anxiety and high in avoidance, that's fearful avoidance or disorganized attachment style. If you are low in anxiety and low in avoidance, 
that secure attachment. That's what all of us are aiming towards. And if you are high in anxiety and low in avoidance, that's what we call anxious attachment or preoccupied. And if you are high in avoidance and low in anxiety, that's avoidant attachment style or dismissive avoidant, right? So I think that's a lot more useful. Now, I often will talk about myself as previously being anxiously attached. Technically, I was disorganized or fearful avoidant. So I was both high in anxiety and high in avoidance. But the reason I always talk about the anxiety side of things is because that's what was really bothering me. The avoidance didn't bother me. In fact, I wanted to be more avoidant. To me, that was kind of like the cool chick, the laid back chick, the you know, Kristen Cavallari and Laguna Beach vibe where everyone's just fawning over her and fighting over her. And she's like, you know, playing gnarly games and like seems so disinterested. And so like, uh uh-huh, I cheated on Steven all the time. And like Talon's obsessed with me and Sam is so hot and whatever, you know, that's the, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be fucking avoidant. I didn't want to be the bitch who, the Jessica in Laguna Beach who is obsessed obsessing over Jason, who like clearly doesn't give two shits about her, who is ignoring her calls, who's like never reaching out to her, never wanting to hang out with her, even though they're like technically in a committed relationship. <laughs> but, um, you know, the avoidance didn't bother me. It was the anxiety that bothered me. It was the fact that I'd like fucking lose my mind if I didn't hear from a guy that I was dating. It's the fact that I would pick fights. It's the fact that I would play games. It's the fact that I couldn't just be like cool and chill and laid back. So when I talk about me being anxiously attached, technically, no, I was fearfully avoidant. I was disorganized, but it was the anxiety that bothered me. And that's why I talk about it. Anyway, that first pillar, that inner child work is a very large chunk of how I got to secure attachment. It was because here's the thing. Our attachment style comes from our childhood wounds. No ifs, ands, or buts. In fact, they generally come from the first year of your life. Now, obviously, there's a lot more trauma that happens after that first year. In fact, like just yesterday, I was talking to a couple of friends from college. We were talking about how traumatic college was. Specifically, I had a really close friend in college, a really close guy friend. Freshman year, we hooked up a little. Um, I was actually like so into him, but I was like, I'd play it so fucking cool and like play all these gnarly games, you know? Um, Anyway... By senior year, we were like best, best friends. Like, so even by the end of freshman year, like we weren't even like hooking up. We were just like really close friends. But by senior year, we were like so fucking close. And we were talking about, I mean, like he, like people always kind of suspected that he might be gay, but like senior year, some shit happened. And um, the way that he was like kind of outed against his will. I mean, he wasn't like technically outed um, because he did deny it, but uh, who knows? Basically, like someone started saying that him and the friend, my friend, made out 
And, and my friend denied that it actually happened. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. But like that shit would never fly today. Like if it if they did actually make out and he was outed, like it, it's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. But regardless of what happened, like the, like that's I mean, people have committed suicide over less, you know, like that's a very serious thing. Anyway, we were just talking about how traumatic college was. Um, that's that's a topic for another day. So like trauma happens at all stages of life. But it is that first year of life that really sets the stone, uh, sets the stage <laughs> for your attachment style, right? Anyway, it is through doing that type of inner child work and working through my attachment wounds that I was able to move to secure attachment. Like one thing that happened, for example, just to like really make it very granular and clear is so I noticed that I had a very low tolerance for uncertainty. For example, I'd be seeing a guy, everything would go really well. And then, and we'd be, you know, he'd text me every day. And then let's say like I wake up on a Tuesday and I don't have a good morning text from him. Okay. Like I I could be okay. And then, you know, every hour that goes by, it'd be more and more like, okay, why the fuck is he not texted? Why is he not texted? Why is this mother fucker not texted <laughs> like did he lose his goddamn phone and every it would get to a point where it would be like every minute would start to feel excruciating like when is this fucking asshole going to text me is he not interested anymore like was he never interested should I do something like what uh, the way I would it would take over my life to the point where I couldn't think about anything else. I desperately try to distract myself, but it would just be consuming me, right? That all goes back to childhood. It goes back to an intolerance for uncertainty because of various things that happened. You know, uh, having a dad who would explode sometimes, but was really lovely sometimes. Having parents who ingrained in me that love meant constant connection. Love meant constantly being in touch. And so then my brain is like, oh, we're not constantly connected. We're not constantly in touch. So something must be wrong. And so I'd start spiraling. But working through all of those memories that for me were traumatic. Now, are they traumatic in the same way like a car accident or war or, you know, abuse is traumatic? No, of course not. But still traumatic to a child. Working through those reprocessing that trauma, reprocessing those memories then got me to a place where my brain is like, oh, it's fine. It's fine if we're separated. Like we're still in love. Like right now, my boyfriend, Ozzy, is out of town. He's been out of town for a while for work now. And when he is on a project, he will work sometimes like 20 hours a day. Like it is wild how intense it is. We don't talk like nearly as much as we will. I mean, (laughs) when we're together, we're like physically together. So it's hard to compare. But, you know, just comparing like early stages of us dating and he was in town and he wasn't on that type of project like that. He was under contract with a different company. So they just kind of like work more traditional hours. Like he'd usually be done by like 7 or 8 p.m. versus like this type of situation where it is working like 12 hours minimum, 20 hours is the longest I've seen him go. 
you know, we're not talking nearly as much and I'm good. I'm solid in us being together. And it is through that inner child work really that I was able to move to secure. Um, the second pillar that I talked about the past two weeks is radical self-honesty. And listen, all five of these pillars are contributing very largely to me being able to move to secure attachment. And all five of these pillars really play into what I teach at the Blush Academy. If you know, you also have one of the three insecure attachment types and you also want to move to secure attachment, you can do that totally. But these first two, I would say, are the biggest components. And radical self-honesty, like one very clear example I can give of it is every time I've dated guys in the past, I've like tried to play it cool. I've tried to play it chill, yada, yada. I've even tried to convince myself that I wasn't that into it. And a good example of that is Ozzy. When Ozzy and I first met, first went on our, you know, first date, um, and we're seeing each other for a couple months before he went back to Australia and things kind of fizzled. I was playing so many fucking games, not just with him, but also with myself. Like I was so into him and I'd like really try to play it cool in my own head. And it wasn't really until I fully stepped into that radical self-honesty and, you know, did all the childhood stuff, yada, 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 everything else combined. But then when we started seeing each other the second time, I wasn't playing any fucking games because I wasn't playing games with myself because I was able to be so honest. And that is what got us into the relationship that we are in now. Okay, now we fully worked through everything we've talked about the past two weeks. I want to get to the other three pillars that were able that enabled me to fully transform my life over the past 4 years. So the third pillar, this one is so important, I regulated my nervous system. Now, nervous system balance really dictates how you handle stressors. So 4 years ago, my nervous system was deeply out of balance and any small stressor would make me lose it. I would start crying. I would get really dramatic. My poor brother spent countless hours on the phone with me while I was having full-on breakdowns, largely over nothing, you know? In dating, any small thing would have me spiraling. Like, I remember when I first started dating again, um, I was seeing this guy, Egypt, right? And Uh, who kind of inspired the start of this podcast, one could say. And I remember just like any little thing, like I was having like full breakdowns and then it would take over my life. Like when I really started to feel like, oh, I don't know that I like this guy, like he gives me the ick. But I also, because of, you know, my anxious patterning, didn't have the strength to walk away because I was really in... um like lack mindset. Like I, to me, it was like, okay, like finally found another guy and things are going well. I'm not going to walk away from this. Cause like, what if I never find anyone again? Right. Um, I'm sure so many people can relate to that feeling, but he was also giving me the ick and that thing. Like, I remember there was one day where I just like went on a walk for hours because I couldn't think about or concentrate on anything else. I was so consumed with this. And a lot of that is because my nervous system was so out of balance.
Now, I don't want to get like too deep into nervous system stuff. Honestly, regulating the nervous system, I think eventually is going to be its own full episode. Here's the thing. There's a lot of like different schools of thought on the nervous system. Like, for example, there's polyvagal theory, which I'm doing a ton of research and education on right now. Um, Part of why I don't want to get too deep into it is because I also, a lot of people describe polyvagal theory as pseudoscience and like disproven and things like that. So I don't want to come on here like a, you know, snake oil salesman, whatever, like talking about things that like maybe aren't accurate. So yeah, I'm just, I'm doing a lot more education on it, but the kind of very simplistic view of the nervous system is that there are two sides to it. There's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight, often referred to. It's like what happens when you're stressed. Um, So really what happens is you get blood flow to the muscles so that you can either fight the danger or flee from the danger. You get blood flow away from like your digestion and things like that, Um, you know, your sex organs, et cetera, because like you don't need the blood there right now. Like this is not the time to be procreating. You don't need to be digesting. You don't need to be doing these things because there's a greater danger going on. So it's when you're activated, it's when you're stressed, it's when you're excited. Those are all sympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic is the opposite. It's um, the rest and digest nervous system. So it's after the danger is over, blood returns to digestion. You can rest, you can sleep, you can have sex, you can do all of those things. We live in a world where our sympathetic nervous system is overactivated. Usually people tend to be stressed. That's why we see a lot of digestive issues. That's why we see a lot of insomnia. It's why we see a lot of shit, right? I don't need to explain that people are stressed. Do you understand that people, we live in a world where people tend to be stressed. Now, polyvagal theory asserts that there's actually a third level, that it's not quite as black and white as these two. We're not going to get into that today, but I will say there is a very strong connection between attachment styles and nervous system. And the name of the game really for most of us is to get in our parasympathetic nervous system more. So to get in that rest and digest state, to be able to sleep better, to not be as stressed, to not be as anxious, to be more relaxed, to be able to laugh more, to be able to fuck more, to be able to do all those things, right? And so what I'm going to be talking about under this pillar are like the diet, the exercise, the all of the things that really help me get into my parasympathetic more to help me be there so that when stressors come up, I don't fully freak out, right? Things might happen that trigger me, but I don't full on lose it. I'm not out here like crying. I'm not out here screaming. I'm not out here, you know, like threatening to kill myself. I'm not having like full breakdowns over every little stressor that happens. And frankly, like, I think this is a very relatable thing. I mean, do you ever like look at yourself and you're like, do I have just like a low tolerance for additional stressors in my life because it seems like I'm fully flying off the handle when like something negative happens. 
Um, so yeah, the number one thing really for balancing my nervous system, honestly, is like diet and nutrition. And I'm just kind of going to like read off to you guys the types of nutrients that will really help balance your nervous system and where you can find those nutrients. So number one, B vitamins, B as in boy, really help synthesize neurotransmitters, which help balance your nervous system. So good sources of B vitamins are leafy greens, green peas, mushrooms, sunflower seeds, almonds, oats. With oats, you want to buy organic and glyphosate-free. Is that how you pronounce that word? It's one of those words that I've only seen written and never said out loud, so I've like never known how to pronounce it. Nutritional yeast, spinach, bananas, broccoli, chickpeas, lentils, peanuts. Um, Vitamins C and E are also great. They help slow down cellular aging, which is also super supportive of your nervous system. Um, Good sources of those are berries, tomatoes, bell peppers, citrus fruit, broccoli, and avocado. You also want magnesium. Magnesium really helps calm the nervous system, so it really helps put you into a rest and digest mode. You might know this because you might take or know of people who take magnesium to be able to sleep, and you might take or know of people who take magnesium to be able to poo. I am someone who does both of those things. Good sources of magnesium are pumpkin seeds, um, cacao. With cacao, you do want to kind of look at these lead reports because there is so much lead in cacao nowadays, spinach, and dates. Um, Magnesium is also very commonly supplemented. If you do take a magnesium supplement, it really depends on what you're taking it for. If you're taking it for like sleep, mood, depression, things like that, where you really want it to absorb, I do recommend taking a collated magnesium. It just, it's far more absorbable for the body. If you're taking it to be able to have a bowel movement, listen, like, I take a a magnesium oxidate to be able to poo these days, and it's not great because it's kind of like taking a laxative, but I'm trying to transition off and take just a collated and magnesium citrate does really. It's like the less harmful way to be able to have bowel movements. Um... Okay, moving right along from magnesium, vitamin K is very good for cognitive support. It's also a good one to pair with D vitamins for extra absorption. Um, You can get vitamin K from really anything that's green. That's where it comes from. So leafy greens, broccoli, things like that are really good. Sorry, I have the sound on my phone because... I'm waiting for packages, but I'm just putting it on silent. Okay. Omega-3s. Omega-3s protect the myelin sheath, which protects nerve cells from damage. Interesting little trivia. Apparently, like studies really show that cannabis is not great for the myelin sheath. Not ideal. Anyway, um, but omega-3s 
such a good brain food. And like anything that is a brain food is going to be supportive of your nervous system because your nervous system is largely your brain. I mean, there are other parts of it, but like your brain is a big fucking part of the nervous system. So keep in mind, if someone's like, oh, this is good for your brain, it's it's good for your nervous system. It'll help balance your nervous system. And again, the reason we want to balance the nervous system is because that's what will help you respond better to anything that stresses you out. Cause like any sort of trigger, anything like that is a, it affects your nervous system and how you respond to it really depends on your nervous system. So it's, it's so symbiotic with the other pillars, right? Like you have to do the inner child work. So you're like less triggered by things. But you also have to balance, regulate your nervous system so that when a trigger comes up, you can then go and do the inner child work and you're not just flying off the handle. You know, it's like, like, have you ever stubbed your toe and like fully lost your shit? That's a nervous system issue. That's not like, it's not like stubbing your toe. I used to be so triggered by, this is like so niche. I don't know how relatable it's going to be, but like I tend to walk everywhere and I tend to like, you know, like I don't like, I don't have a car, et cetera. I live in a city. So like when I go grocery shopping, I have a lot of bags on my shoulders. And like one thing I used to be so triggered by is that like, if I was carrying a lot of stuff, like when the bag would fall off my shoulders, like that feeling, like it was just like really like, oh, like just send me off. And it was like such disproportionate response to what's happening, but it's because my nervous system was so out of balance. Okay. Coming back to this, um, for balancing nervous system, another really great nutrient is omega-3s. Really good sources of those are flaxseed. Now, if you want to use flaxseed, I do recommend grinding the seeds up because the nutrients are a lot more absorbable once the seeds are ground up. The only problem is flaxseed goes rancid really quickly. So I would not buy already ground flaxseed. Instead, what I would do is buy whole flaxseed. I personally like golden flaxseed better than brown. I just think the taste is better. So I buy golden whole flaxseed. And then I have a coffee grinder that I use just to grind up the flaxseed. I grind it up myself. And then I put it in an airtight jar. I put that airtight jar inside of a black pillowcase to shield out light. And then I put it in the fridge. So you want it like air temperature and light controlled. And that way it'll last a long time. Chia seeds, another great source of omega-3s. Chia seeds and flax seeds have very similar nutritional profiles. It's just the chia seeds are a bit more expensive, I believe. And then like flax seeds have like a bit more you know, like the whole thing, grinding it up, etc. It's just like a bit more work. So just choose like whatever works best for you. Walnuts are another great source of omega-3s, various types of seaweed. I mean, like we talk about fish as being good sources of omega-3s, but the reason fish have omega-3s is because they eat seaweed. So you can just go and eat the seaweed and avoid all of the heavy metal poisoning that comes from fish, also, um, you know, the ocean pollution, yada, yada, yada. And then as far as supplements for omega-3s, I really love the Symbiotica one. I don't like I get nothing from this, but they have a really excellent omega-3 supplement. 
Um, flavanols are also really good for balancing your nervous system. The reason they are is because they improve circulation. Good sources of flavanols are kale, peaches, berries, scallions, broccoli, tomatoes, cacao. Again, be careful with the lead. Apples and various types of teas are really good sources of flavanols. Fiber and fermented foods are really good for gut health and elimination, which also affect your nervous system. So you want to eat a lot of raw vegetables. Having them raw keeps more of the fiber intact. Um, specifically, I'd recommend carrots, radishes, shaved fennel, shaved onions, shaved beets, and leafy greens. And then fermented vegetables. I mean, I've been looking at a lot of studies on this, and there's there are studies that suggest that fermented vegetables do more for us than probiotics do, which is like kind of fucking wild. They do have probiotics in them. It's not actually at levels that are high enough to be able to like really colonize within the gut. But studies show, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they are also raw living foods. Now with fermented vegetables, you want to be buying them from the fridge section, refrigerated section. So like something like sauerkraut. There are different ways of making sauerkraut. There's actual lacto-fermentation where you take the raw cabbage with a little bit of salt and just like kind of put it in a shelf for a while. And the good bacteria will start to break down the sugars and proteins and make them more digestible. And specifically, they eat away the... Um, the sugars. So it's really, really interesting with fermentation. Like, like you could take something that's, let, let's say a beet, right? Beets are sweet. If you ferment a beet, what happens is the bacteria starts to eat all the sugars. And once it's fully fermented, there's no more sugars. So it's actually super, super tart. I, um, there's one brand of alcohol that I love and I'm not a huge drinker, but when I do drink, I try to make it like as healthy as possible. And there's this brand pulp culture that I'm obsessed with and they take cold pressed juices and they ferment them until they're alcoholic. So first it like goes through the fermentation phase of like when all the sugars are eaten and then it's converted to alcohol and then they add medicinal mushrooms and stuff. I'm obsessed with this brand and I actually just got a code for you guys. Um, it's HIVA, H-I-W-A. I think, I think that's what my code is. I'm 99% sure if that doesn't work to take a percentage off, then, um, DM me and I'll tell you, but I'm obsessed with this brand. Like if I can help it, it's all I drink. I feel so much better the next day. I feel so much better during there's like no sugars. There's no, it's a hundred calories in a can, but there's literally no sugar because all of the sugars have been eaten by the live bacteria. So you're getting live bacteria, like as though you were taking a probiotic supplement and they add medicinal mushrooms. So like lion's mane, reishi, chaga, maitake, things like that, you know, like the four sigmatic mushrooms, the mushrooms that people are spending like an arm and a leg to take as supplements is literally added into the drink. It's so fucking good. But anyway, 
keep in mind that like you can't buy sauerkraut from like the shelf. That sauerkraut is made with vinegar to mimic the taste of lacto-fermentation, but proper lacto-fermentation actually keeps things raw, keeps things living, and feeds your gut with so much healthy bacteria while also pre-digesting whatever it is. So like, for example, people, some people have like issues digesting like garlic or onions. If you ferment them, all of the things that were giving you digestive issues are gone. That's why people who are lactose intolerant can still have yogurt. It's because the lactose, which is a form of sugar, is eaten by the bacteria. So it's gone. It's gone. (laughs) Anyway, so you want to buy these things from the refrigerated section, kimchi, sauerkraut, things like that. Um, Also, do keep in mind if you are vegan, not all kimchi is vegan. They use like fish sauce or something like that. And just to bring the diet section of this to a wrap, aim to eat 30 plants per week. This is, uh, you know, an ambiguous number, but if you aim to eat 30 different types of plants, you're going to be getting a variety of nutrients into your diet. So you could take the list of all the plants that I just mentioned to get, you know, your B vitamins, your C vitamins, your E vitamins, your omega-3s, your fiber, et cetera. Like by all means, you can do that. Or as a general rule of thumb, just aim to eat 30 different plants per week. But yeah, that's my overview of the type of diet that'll help regulate your nervous system. But there are a lot of other elements to regulating your nervous system. The next one is movement. Now, movement is interesting because what really happens with movement is we are purposely putting ourselves in a sympathetic nervous system state. And keep in mind, like our goal in this day and age really is to be in the parasympathetic as much as possible. I mean, keep in mind the sympathetic is like where you're stressed, where you're anxious, where you're not digesting, where you're not sleeping, where you're not horny. Like none of us really want to be in that state. But the sympathetic nervous system does play a role like it's intentional. It keeps us away from danger. It keeps us going when our body perceives danger. And these are very useful things. But more specifically, when we purposefully put ourselves in a sympathetic nervous system state, it helps us control being in that nervous system state. And the other thing that happens is we rebound harder into a parasympathetic nervous system state. So it it has a twofold effect. One, it helps us control being be more in control when we are in that sympathetic nervous system state. And B, it helps us come down into a more parasympathetic state. So think about it like when you exercise regularly, you tend to sleep better. And it's because you're getting that energy out and then you're rebounding into a parasympathetic harder parasympathetic state. Obviously not if you're like doing hard exercise right before bed. You should never do that because your heart rate will be elevated for a while. But as your heart rate goes down, you become more and more relaxed, right? And with movement, I always say start low, start slow. I famously did not exercise until more recently, although I have always walked. But um, the reason or the way that I was able to like build this, you know, exercise routine over the past few months is I thought to myself, I was like, okay, like 
I'm not like there's nothing that would get me to do like a 20 to 30 minute like exercise class. I don't care like how fucking easy it is. I don't care if I can do it right from home. I don't care about any of this shit. I'm, I, I, I just can't get it up for it. But what I could motivate myself to do was like five minutes of abs. Five minutes of abs I could do. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to do five minutes of abs a few times a week. And then I like slowly started increasing it. I still am rarely going to do a 20 to 30 minute workout on its on its face. But what I'll do instead is I'll do like a 10 minute workout. And then I'm like, oh, I could do another 10 minute workout. So just find, and it doesn't, your entryway doesn't have to be abs, but find the thing, the the smallest possible step that you can't fail out. Maybe for you, it's stretching for 60 seconds. Maybe that is the thing where you're like, okay, I can fucking stretch for 60 seconds. Just do that every day and then slowly add to it. Like cardio, I'm just now getting to a place where I'm like, okay, like I could do a few minutes of cardio. It's still probably not going to be longer than that. And maybe six months from now, I'll be fucking like doing an hour long dance class. I doubt it, but like maybe it just find the smallest possible step that you truly can do without risk of failure, like the smallest possible step that you will stick to and just do that. And then very slowly, gradually, you can increase it. Another thing that is so helpful for regulating your nervous system is cold exposure. The reason it does that is because it stimulates the vagus nerve, which is actually part of your nervous system. So during cold exposure, your sympathetic nervous system activity goes up. But when you're really consistent with it over time, sympathetic activity goes down just like throughout the day, right? So like during the moment of your cold exposure, you're putting yourself in a fight or flight in a stressed nervous system state. But then the rest of the day, you're going to be more in that parasympathetic, the rest and digest, the relaxed state, and over time, the more you do cold exposure, the more time you will spend in the parasympathetic nervous system state. Um, what I do for cold exposure is just cold showers. I And it, it depends. Some days I can do like a couple of minutes. Other days, I don't even want to do one second. And really what I try to do is I just push myself past my wall. So if my wall that day is five seconds, I'm like, okay we're going to get those five seconds over with. If my wall that day is three minutes, then it's three minutes. But, you know, just like with everything else, go low, go slow, and gradually work your way up. Another really important element for regulating your nervous system is sleep. Now, I'm not going to talk about this too long because I have a full episode on sleeping better. It was from um, like March of 2022, I think. It's called like 13 ways to optimize your sleep and have more energy, things like that. But a few things I want to touch on. Number one is like blue light. So there are different like spectrums of light within the sun, which is our real source of light, right? That is our natural source of light. There are different like color frequencies and they all signal different things to our brain. And at all points when the sun is out, 
all of the color frequencies largely are there, but in different proportions. So when the sun first comes out in the morning, it's a lot warmer. It's a lot redder. So there's more reds, oranges, and yellows, and a lot less of blue and green. As the day goes on, the percentages of blue and green light keep increasing until noon when the blue and the green light are at its maximum levels, and then they start decreasing again by sunset. We have like a pretty red sun, right? Now, these different color frequencies communicate different things to our brain. Red is a relaxing tone. It's good for healing. It's good for regeneration. Looking at the red sunset at night specifically prompts our brain to release melatonin, which then signals to us that it's time to go to bed. Blue and green lights are really good at stimulating energy. It gives you a lot of energy. It increases cortisol, which gives you energy. You know, like energy, cortisol, sympathetic nervous system, these are all natural things that play a role. Like I know we have this like very negative connotation of the word cortisol, but it does play a very important role. And it traditionally, if you're like living in accordance with nature, what happens is we tend to wake up with a good amount of energy and it starts to wane. By noon is when we hit a slump and that blue and green light within the sunlight gives our brain more energy so that we can make it through the day. The problem is with LED lights everywhere in all of our devices, in our homes, etc., our phone screen has blue and green light levels that are equivalent to the noon sun. So every time you look at your phone, you're giving your brain the information that it's noon right now and we need the most energy humanly possible, which is all well and good when it's actually noon, but when it's 9.30 fucking p.m. and your brain is receiving the message that it's noon and we need to release more energy and we need to make it through a whole fucking day, that's a problem and that's going to fuck with your sleep. So here's the thing. There are ways to combat that. The number one thing that I recommend that I do myself is my phone screen is on a warm mode all of the time except for 12 to 2 p.m. 12 to 2 p.m. It automatically goes back to a normal phone screen that has the elevated blue and green levels. But the rest of the time, if you look at my phone screen, it's really fucking yellow. It's as warm as I can make it. And then at night night, I make it fully red. Now, if you want to know how to do these things, maybe I'll make like a reel or something that gives you the step-by-step instructions for how to make your phone screen warmer because it is such a fucking game changer. And then in general, just like trying to be on screens less, especially at night, blue light blocking glasses, yada, yada, you know, those things. Other things that really affect my sleep Um, I've noticed eating late was one of the biggest contributors to the extreme insomnia I used to have, especially if you're eating like heavy animal proteins, they just like take longer to digest. So ideally leaving two to three hours in between your last food intake and when you intend to go to bed is going to help you so much. Um, Also, if you're not eating enough carbs, that is going to affect your sleep severely, 
severely. So like if you do want to eat something at night, fruit is the best thing to eat at night. But definitely go check out that entire sleep episode. A couple of things that I also do now that I don't think I talked about in that episode, I do tape my mouth shut. It really helps. Um, I'm such a mouth breather. So taping my mouth shut just forces me to breathe through my nose. And it is such a game changer for sleep as well as so many other things that we like literally don't have time for today. Um, and the other thing that is a huge game changer in my sleep is like, I take gummies. No, is it ideal? No, like is, you know, I mean, cannabis has like some benefits and some, uh, harms and I'm not here to like really go deep into, uh, cannabis and whether you should do it or not. But I do love the gummies from Nama CBD they're vegan gummies. They also have other products. Like I just ordered their chocolate, their dark chocolate is vegan. Their milk chocolate is not vegan. Um, but it's really, really good. And what I love about theirs. So they have like just CBD stuff and they have CBD and THC stuff. I have all of them, but with the THC ones, they still have very high levels of CBD, which really takes the edge off. Like I don't get paranoid. I don't get weird. I just like, it really helps me like a giggle more and like connect with my body, but B just fucking go to sleep. So if you do want to get their gummies or chocolates, or I just got their drops too, they have a bunch of different things. Um, highly, highly recommend them. You can use the code HIVAA15 for 15% off. That's H-I-W-A-A-1-5. Um, and I'll put the link to order those in the show notes should you want them. Other things that help regulate your nervous system are meditation and breath work. Now with meditation, I'm separating them out because when I talk about breath work, I'm talking about active breath work where you're like increasing um, the speed at breathing. With meditation, it's really training you to be more mindful and more present. And meditation really like brings you into a parasympathetic nervous system state. And one thing that's great is that training and mindfulness and presence really helps it so that you don't like jump the gun, you don't spiral, you don't fully freak out when something new happens. And like for, you know, all of my anxious attachment girlies, for example, if you are really good and have a lot of training at being mindful and present, you're not going to be as triggered by little triggers like a guy not texting you or like, you know, like going down these rabbit holes because your brain is so used to being fully present. Now for meditation, you might be thinking like, oh, but I can't meditate. Like, oh, I don't have time or my mind wanders too much, yada, yada. No one is good at it. No one is fucking good at it. That's like being like, I don't know how to fly a spaceship. Therefore, um, I'm not. That's okay. I don't know where this analogy was going. <laughs> therefore, I won't even train to be an astronaut. No, like you, you have to train to learn how to do it. And even then you're not going to be fucking good at it. I mean, hopefully our astronauts astronauts are better at the shit that they do. Otherwise we'd see a lot more rocket ship crashes, but here's what I recommend. Start with one minute a day. 
60 seconds a day. And you either are going to watch your breath or focus on a mantra. It doesn't really matter. But like breath is like easy and tangible, right? So for 60 seconds, set a timer for 60 seconds, close your eyes and just focus on your breathing. While you're inhaling, you can count. That sometimes helps. So like maybe like uh, count to five on your inhale hold your breath for a few seconds and then count to 10 on your exhale and then hold your breath for a few seconds and just keep doing that 60 seconds a day. After a few weeks, increase it to two minutes, 120 seconds. And frankly, you don't even have to increase it past that because studies show benefits from just two minutes of meditation a day. That is it. There is no excuse to not be doing something for one minute a day. Anyone, anyone can do anything for one minute a day. And that's all you need to start with. With breath work, like the more active types of breath work, like Wim Hof, Tumo breath work, things like that, it's very similar to exercise. It's actually putting you in a sympathetic nervous system state in an intentional way such that you can control it better. And breath work really trains you to be more resilient. Breath work increases your fuse. Like if you have a short fuse, what breath work does is it gives more string to that fuse so that when a trigger happens, when something upsets you, when something sets you off, there is a longer amount of time before you fucking explode. It's not going to be like me four years ago where every little thing would have me just full on spiraling, full on having breakdowns. Breath work increases that fuse. And I know I say this a lot, but there's going to be some really cool, fun breathwork components to the Blush Academy coming up soon. I'm purposefully kind of waiting on it because like I have so many other balls in the air, yada, yada, but there is going to be a lot of breathwork stuff on the Blush Academy. But in the meantime, if you need resources for that, DM me and I will help you out. Okay, so that was the third pillar of up-leveling my life. It was really regulating my uh, nervous system, which then makes it easier to do the inner child work, which then makes it easier to practice radical self-honesty. And it makes these last two pillars, which are actually quite quick, don't worry, we're not going to be here for 12 hours, a lot easier. So the fourth pillar was like, I got out of victim mentality. Here's the thing. You don't deserve the trauma that you experienced. And keep in mind, we all experience trauma, right? You don't You don't deserve it. It's not your fault. Um, your baggage isn't your fault. Your reactions aren't your fault. None of these things are your fault, but they are your responsibility. And focusing on other people does nothing for you. I used to use my childhood and like the types of abuse and, you know, the inconsistencies and the explosiveness of the house that I grew up in as an excuse for my behavior constantly. Like I remember I would have boyfriends who were like, you know, you're yelling at me, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're picking fights. And I'd be like, well, I grew up in this very chaotic household and like yada, yada, yada. And it's true. That is why I was doing all of those things. But me focusing on how much like my parents fought and how, you know, abusive my dad could have been, yada, yada, it did nothing. 
to help. It did nothing. Like I was just repeating the cycle, but it was me just taking responsibility and being like, okay, this is not my fault, but it is my responsibility and I can do something about it. When we feel like we have agency and control, we are actually happier and less anxious and we're motivated to do something about it. And just as trauma can be inherited, so can healing. So we, you know, epigenetically inherited trauma from all of our ancestors, but we also can inherit healing from our ancestors. And maybe we didn't because they didn't have the tools and resources to address their generational trauma and their epigenetic hurt. But we can, we do have the tools and the resources. So what are you going to do? Are you going to pass on more trauma to the next generations? Or are you going to start healing and pass on that fucking healing? The fifth and last pillar of how I dramatically up-leveled my life in the past four years is by taking action. Now, the reason this is last is because... A, it's like in some ways the most important, but B, all of the other four pillars have enabled me to be able to take action. What do I mean by action? Number one is boundaries. I started saying no to everyone who would take up space without giving. And I don't mean that in this like transactional kind of way where like I give and you give like, oh, you know, I give you a gift. Therefore, you give me a gift. I come to your house. Therefore, you get no, no, I don't mean it like that. I'm talking about on a soul level, like are these people actually feeding my soul in any kind of way? You know, I talked about how four years ago, some of the people that were in my life, like, for example, those two close friends from law school, like, it wasn't in terms of like, what are they physically giving me? It's that they weren't actually like feeding my soul. Like they weren't actually there for me the one time that I needed them. They, uh, you know, our friendships were built on our negative traits. They were built on our like actual negativity. They were built on our complaints. They were built on uh, disliking the same people. They were really like came from a place of negativity, but I didn't have a ton of people in my life who I could connect on positive things, who I could talk about like healing and wellness and mental health and growing as a human being. Like I didn't have people in my life who were feeding me on a soul level. And one thing I started to do was just like not give energy and space to people who were energetic vampires who were taking without feeding. I also started saying no to shit I didn't want to do. Like I, I, I like for example, I remember I had a friend and keep in mind, I was like desperate for friends at the time because I was going through heartbreak and I really didn't have community in New York. And I had a friend who was like, oh, do you want to go get our nails painted? And I was like, no, actually, like, I don't like actually I don't because I don't enjoy that activity. Just like saying no to shit I didn't want to do. Like right now I'm really in this era, right? I'm in a very like work focused era. Like I don't have a ton of interest in socializing. And I will say as the weather is warming up and getting better, I'm becoming more and more interested in socializing, but I'm still like in a very work focused mood. So I'm saying no to a lot of things. And also like 
clothes, physical items, things like that. I'm about to go through another closet purge and reorganization, but just like every time, every person, everything, every activity, every physical item in your life is taking up space of another person, of another item, of another activity. So think really carefully the people, the things, the activity, the way that you spend your time, are these the best versions of these things? Because they're taking the space of other things that could be there. So like all of your friends, are those the people really that you want in your life? Or do you need to make space for better people in your life? The way that you spend your days, is that how you actually want to be spending your days? Or do you need to make space for other activities that are going to feed you on a deeper soul level? The physical items, the clothes in your closet, they're taking up the physical space of other potential clothes. Are those the clothes that you want? Or do you just have them so that because you're like, oh, well, I need clothes. Oh, well, I need friends. Oh, well, I need to be dating someone. No, no, no. Trust that when you say no to things, they'll be replaced by better things. If these are not a hell fucking yes for you, they should be a no. And frankly, the most important boundaries that I've had are having boundaries with myself. And I think a really useful tool for this is the four types of choices that I always talk about. So like things that you want to start doing, things that you want to stop doing, things that you want to do more of, and things that you want to do less of. Get in the practice of going through those four questions regularly. It could be at the beginning of every week. It could be every month. It could be every day. It could be at any fucking point that you want. Look at those answers and then draw in boundaries with yourself. Maybe you want less screen time. Maybe you want more fun. Maybe you want more vegetables. Maybe you want more exercise. Maybe you want to start meditating. Maybe you want to stop talking shit. Whatever it is, look at the four choices that you want to be making today and draw some boundaries up with yourself. Another thing within um, the taking action pillar is I really started following my intuition. And one thing I did that really helped with that was I started jotting down every time I was having like like thoughts where I was like, okay, is this like a random thought? Is this anxiety? Is this overthinking? Or is this actually intuition? And I would write down how it felt in my body. And that's how I started to really be able to listen to my intuition. I noticed that like when it was my intuition speaking, I could really feel it kind of like around um, my upper ribs, like right below my chest. It's a very specific feeling. It's like it fills it up. And that's how my intuition feels for me. For you, it could be very different, but the key is always in the body, right? Tune into your body and notice how your body lights up and you'll know when it's your intuition. Now, one thing I do want to say about intuition is radical self-honesty really plays into it because I think we have a tendency as a society to use intuition as a crutch to avoid taking scary action. I see this a lot with dating apps. Like I'll see women specifically who are like, oh, but like dating apps just don't feel right. I used to do this too, right? Like, oh, it doesn't like mm, my intuition goes against it. No, that's actually fear. That's actually fear speaking. And keep in mind, fear is a lot louder than intuition. Fear screams, intuition whispers. 
fear and anxiety are loud. They take over. It's a lot of second guessing. It's a lot of like heart racing, things like that. Intuition is calm. Intuition is easy and intuition is not active. It's not screaming. It's whispering. The biggest thing I will say on like that intuition piece is like experiment and see. You have to be the scientist in your own life. Like I really had this with um, one thing I always knew I wanted in a partner was to have like a compatible sense of humor and to like really like I wanted it to be like your childhood best friend that you just like die laughing with. Like you have bits together. Like fuck, I thought like maybe we'd we'd um, perform together or something at some point. Who knows? And then I met Van Guy. And Van Guy's like not a very funny guy. He's not like really into like he's like a more serious kind of guy. But he was giving me a lot of things that I wanted. He was like so emotionally available and present and so communicative with his feelings. And like I really was into words of affirmation at the time. So it really was like feeding something that I needed. And I was like, maybe that like sense of humor connection isn't actually something that I need in a partner. I mean, I have that connection with like my best friends. I have that connection with myself. Like maybe I can fulfill that need through other people in my life. And it was only via dating Van Guy for a few months that I realized, no, I need that sense of humor connection in a partner. And I now obviously have that like such big time with Ozzy. And then the last part of taking action and like this is such a big one is just doing shit that scares me. Every time I've done shit that scares me, it's led to the best results. The biggest example of this might be when Ozzy and I started dating each other again, right? We had those couple months where we were casually seeing each other and then he went back to Australia. We kind of stopped communicating. I dated Van Guy. Then I broke up with Van Guy. We started hanging out again. I remember I was so upfront about the fact that I was into him, the fact that I wanted a serious relationship, not necessarily with him, but like, you know, the way things were going, it seemed like probably with him that, you know, I was looking to settle down, that I was like very, very serious. I wasn't playing any games. I wasn't playing it coy. I wasn't, you know, like, like trying to make him be like, oh my God, is she into me? Is she not into me? Yada, yada. No, he knew. He knew full on that I liked him, that I was into him, that I was like into it because I was being so radically honest with him. And that shit was really fucking scary, really fucking scary. But it's what ultimately led to us being in the relationship that we are now. If I had continued playing games like I did before, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We have the two examples, right? The first time we were seeing each other, I was playing a lot of games. I was not being upfront. I thought that would be like the way that I was going to like hook him and like make him fall for me. No, that shouldn't fucking happen. We stopped talking. But when I started being really upfront about my feelings and where I stood and what I wanted, boom, we ended up being together and it is, it's the best thing in my life. That relationship is mm, chef's kiss. Could not say enough good things. Um, oh my God. Speaking of chef's kiss, you know, the beginning of the episode when I was trying to explain like what I keep doing with my hands, it's the chef's kiss motion, what you do with your lips. So it's the strawberry analogy. <laughs> 
<laughs> didn't mean anything to you. That's what it was. Um, you know, other things like TikTok scared the shit out of me. TikTok has helped the podcast grow dramatically. Even, you know, going back to the top of the episode with like doing video in these episodes, it's scary for me for a number of reasons, both logistically and emotionally, mentally, etc. But ever since I've been doing the videos, the podcast has been growing a lot and it's it's really uh, it's like feeding my soul in a whole new way because taking action builds confidence. As Mel Robbins always says, confidence is trying. That's all it is. And imposter syndrome is a natural response to when you're doing something new. Okay. That is it guys. That is it. That is the five pillars, the five habits that I implemented into my life to completely up-level my life in every fucking way. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sticking through the three-part breakdown of how I've up-leveled my life. I hope you learned something from this. I hope something in this episode resonated. It would be so helpful if you go to the reviews, the comments, whatever you see on whatever um, platform you're listening on and just drop in what part of this episode resonated the most for you. What what are you going to implement in your life today? Don't put it off today. Take the smallest possible step that you cannot fail at. And one step that you can take today that you cannot fail at is giving this podcast five stars, leaving a review and sharing it with someone who you know would benefit from it. Let's be real, guys. This is pretty fucking fire content. And there are people in your life who would benefit from hearing it. There are people in your life who would be better people for hearing this podcast. So share this episode with them. Um, Put it in your Instagram stories. You know the drill. I'm going to start doing like a real giveaway, a real giveaway. So you know what? Once a month, I'm going to go through the podcast reviews on iTunes and on Spotify. And once a month, I will randomly select a winner and that winner gets six months of the Blush Academy membership completely for free. All you have to do is go in the Apple iTunes and the Spotify review sections and leave a five-star review about how amazing this show is. Screenshot the review that you're sending and um, email it to theblushpod.com in the subject line, write giveaway. And then every month I will choose a winner. So make sure to submit that every month. I will choose a winner and the winner gets six months of the blush Academy completely for free, where you can completely rewire your mind. You can completely move to secure attachment and have the types of relationships of your dreams. Okay. Love you guys so much.